0: Hello, this is Melissa Hale Spencer, the editor at the Altamont Enterprise, and we are excited to have with us today on the line Dr. Kenneth Weinberg. And we met Dr. Weinberg through a letter to the editor. He wrote us a question, which is, What is the point of the state's medical marijuana program if all New Yorkers in need can't access it? Very good question, and we hope in the next half hour to explore different aspects of that. So can you just start by telling us a little about the Cannabis Doctors of New York, of which you remember? What, what is that group? Right.
1: Well, so we started this um, two and a half years ago, uh, just before the Compassionate Care Act went into effect, which was January 6th of 2016, Two of my friends who are colleagues and uh, fellow emergency physicians and I talked about the fact that the law was going into effect and we were very interested and wanted to see about getting started and starting a business with it. So um, we all took the uh, four hour course online um, and became registered and soon thereafter started the company.
0: And what does the company do? What does it? What's its mission? What does it consist of? So there are several
1: things. Um, first and foremost is um, helping patients get certified so that they can get a medical marijuana card. Um, so we have a website that people can reach, and um, we've also now in the last year or so, uh, because we have uh, we've developed a network of a number of nurse practitioners and physicians um, and patients and their friends who have started referring to us. So we are seeing patients and doing the certification, which allows them to get the card. Another very important aspect of what we do is um, go around different parts of the state um, to talk about, the, about cannabis and about the history of it, about the uh, New York state law, about what is available, how it works. um, Because I think it's very important for people to be educated. I have a number of friends who are physicians who didn't even know that there was an endocannabinoid system. Um, Most people don't know that it's legal in New York State. It's not really been um, publicized very much. And finally, the, the other thing that we do is we work with legislators to really try to push, get as much legislation passed as possible. Um, I was on a show uh, in in New York City uh, a year ago when the uh, state legislature was debating whether to add PTSD to make that the 12th condition. And um, at that point, there were a few uh, holdouts, including, interestingly, a Republican um, vet who was not who did not want to uh, allow the law to pass, and the the show was actually very good, and but made some pointed, um, soft but pointed attacks about this particular person, and sure enough, the next week, the law was passed. Um, Interestingly, this was last summer. Governor Cuomo waited until Veterans Day to um, sign that so that he Mm -hmm. could take credit for... uh, (laughs) having put the law into effect. So those are the main things that we do.
0: Okay, well, there's so many questions I have from just what you've described so far. First of all, could you just walk through for our listeners what the certification process is for a patient to get a card? What what steps does someone have to go through to do that?
1: Yes, absolutely. It's, and we try to make it easy, and I think most of the practitioners do. You really need documentation that you have one of the 12 conditions that New York State has allowed.
0: And can you, te- um, can you reel those off you- for us? Can you reel off what those 12 conditions are, just so if someone's listening that has one of those conditions, they'll know that they're eligible?
1: Yes, let's count them together because sometimes <laughs> I, I don't. So PTSD, neuropathy, Parkinson's, Huntington's disease, Multiple sclerosis, uh, inflammatory bowel disease, chronic pain, seizures, uh, spinal cord injury with intractable muscle pain, um, what else? Cancer. Apple- epilepsy. A- I okay. Cancer, HIV, epilepsy. I there, think, you've got is it. Is that twelve?
0: You've got twelve. Good. Okay. Thank you. So, if you've got one of those twelve okay. conditions, what what do you? What's the process?
1: So, generally, um, w- the way we do it, and I think that different practitioners may do it differently, but we've been because we are, I think, the only or one of the only groups that is just doing this, and we are not doing it through primary care practice or anything else, we require that somebody gets a referral from their um, practitioner, not necessarily, a, I mean, they, they really just need to get documentation. So someone, I, I frequently get um, patients referred from Sloan Kettering, for example, or cancer, mm-hmm. and they will be given some kind of documentation that they have uh, whatever type of cancer it is. Um, Sometimes patients, and, you know, interestingly, there are a number of doctors, and this is definitely an issue that people should be aware of. I've had situations where doctors refuse to, um, the, knowing that a letter would be used to allow their patient to get medical cannabis, they have refused to provide that letter. Um Why? And that's a ticklish, because they're against it, and they don't think it's in their patient's best interest.
0: Huh. So.
1: So and yes.
0: So once the patient has this letter, if their doctor doesn't provide it, they then go to another doctor in hopes of getting it. Is that the course they usually take? No.
1: Well, I'll 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 tell you one. In one situation, um, I had a patient who had a neuropathy, a radiculopathy, uh, uh, you know, a problem with one of the the nerves, and her doctor refused, and she found. Uh, I think it was actually a bill that she had gotten that, and it listed radiculopathy as one of her conditions. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, well, that's fine with me. And I did that. I mean, you know, obviously this is a, a tricky situation, but this is a patient, and many of the patients you should know are people who have been using cannabis um, and know that it works, and they want to get legal. They want to be legitimate. They don't mm-hmm. want to be stopped and you know, they don't want to be stopped. They also know that what they get on the street is not particularly consistent. Who knows what's in it? At least in New York State, you know each time you go to the dispensary, you're getting the exact same thing, and you know that it's been tested by the lab, the Wadsworth lab in Albany. Mm-hmm. So there's no heavy metals, there's no pesticides, et cetera, in it. But this patient, to go back to her, had been smoking marijuana, and she knew that it was very helpful with this. neurologic problem Mm -hmm. so i said okay well that's fine i mean you're you're smoking anyway i will i will make a confession and get you a card Mm -hmm. um so that's what i did but anyway once they get the the documentation um and a new york state id or evidence that they have like a um a lease, uh, you know, if they don't necessarily have a New York State ID, something that shows that they are that they have a, a residence in New York, they provide that to us, and then we will give them the link so that they can um, make an appointment with me, and then we go from there. And uh, you know, the, I I do this in three different ways. We do a te- we have a telemedicine platform. Um, I have an office both upstate and in um, Manhattan. And I also do house calls because, as you can imagine, a number of the patients that I see are are homebound. They're debilitated. They have issues. And so we thought we really, in, with, as the Compassionate Care Act says, we were trying to be compassionate and try to provide, you know, because I, I really what's happened is that um, this can be so helpful to people that we really are doing all we can to make sure that people are able to access this.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, um, one of the things you said when you were giving me the overview of your business is you said something you do is you travel the state and go over the history of cannabis, and I wish you'd do that for us. And also, as you're (laughs) describing that, maybe you could get into talking about what seems to me almost like a prejudice that some doctors, as you were just saying, Say for instance, maybe when you're describing the history, you could also address the idea of what seems to be almost a prejudice against the drug that some in the medical profession have, as you were just noting, you know, for instance, a doctor that won't tell a patient that they can use this. So if you could just kind of review the history as you do, um, mm-hmm. as you travel the state, but also address that point, I think it would be interesting.
1: Sure. Um, it's actually fascinating, because if you do look at the history of it, you can see that civilizations for the last several thousand years, whether it be China or India, um, Europe, uh, Africa, um, Talk about cannabis and using it for both for hemp, which is basically the sister of cannabis um, for all of those products and for all its medicinal and spiritual properties um, Carl Sagan ha- was quoted as saying that he thinks he believes that cannabis is what actually brought us from being hunter gatherers to uh, in uh, agricultural society because when you are growing hemp and and cannabis for, as I said, those you know the, those properties, you need to come together. And so he believes about eight thousand years ago that that cannabis and hemp were the things that actually brought us from the hunter gatherer stage to the uh, agricultural stage. So that's one interesting thing that I've come upon. Whether it's true or not, I don't know. But it's, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, I think it's all very interesting. Um, so it's it's been used through the millennium i also came on, on a reference um which it said that when god was telling moses not moses sorry abraham to um no moses of course moses to build the first temple and he wanted him to make an oil to anoint the priests with and one of the uh components of that was kana bosom, hmm. which is that cannabis? I, I I don't know and we'll never know, but it certainly sounds reasonable and I've actually I've an Israeli patient. When I mentioned that to him, he said, Oh yes, of course, everybody knows that. So anyway, it's so you know, if you if you move forward, um, let's say until into the eighteen hundreds, it was a, a major part. Cannabis was a major part of many different medicines that were used around the world, and certainly in this country. Um, I've kind of come upon bottles from Park Davis that show it as being part of something for for cramps, for pain, things like that. So it was very much accepted as just something that was very helpful, and people acknowledged that. Um, and it was really, what happened is um, that in the 30s, I think there were two things that were going on. Um, One of them was certainly that um, Hearst and other people who were in the paper business um, realized that hemp was cheaper and easier to grow and use for paper than, um, than pulp from trees. And so they started a demonization campaign about that. And at the same time, in 1937, the Marijuana Tax Act was passed. And Harry Anslinger was the head of the um, uh, was the 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 predecessor to the DEA, but in any case, um, at that point they started demonizing uh, marijuana. There's an amazing film that I think is one of the best propaganda films that was ever made because 80 years later people still refer to it called Reefer Madness. (laughs) Yes, Um,
0: Reefer Madness has come become sort of an iconic film. Yes.
1: But the, people still have those fears about, you know, they're going to get addicted, they're going to murder people, they're going to get crazy, the killer weed. And it worked very well. It was almost like, you know, the same demonization that Donald Trump did. You know, people of color are using these drugs and you get addicted to it and you become, you know, then you move on to heroin and all these other things and it really frightened people. And. To bring it to the future, to the to the to the present, excuse me. Um, I think that still persists, and a lot of physicians have that feeling about it. You know, it, it's interesting because cannabis is really held to a higher standard. When, and I'll I'll, I'll go into that a little bit because I think it's very important. Uh, when I I was an emergency physician for thirty years. And there were a lot of drugs that I would prescribe for people, many of which had so many side effects. If you look on TV, at these ads for things for, you know, rheumatologic problems, the list of issues that of side effects, including death, take up half the ad. Mm-hmm. And But when, you know, when somebody says something about cannabis, it's like, oh, well, you know, sometimes people get high from it or sometimes this happens or that happens. You know, what I'm saying is that it's... It's held to a higher standard. I mean, the, the point is that we have been, cannabis has been around and been linked and interwoven with our society for thousands of years. We actually have a vast endocannabinoid system, which basically means a, a, a system with receptors for cannabis. Endo is inside. So in the brain and the body, um, we make our own cannabis structures that are fairly similar to the structures that the plant makes. So there's a reason to believe that we have really, and, and it's not just humans, it's uh, animals and lower plant, lower um, uh, species also have endocannabinoid receptors in them. So it's been around for a long time. And I think that has a lot to do with why it works so well for people because there is a, a belief that there are endocannabinoid deficiency states. In other words, certain things, um, certain syndromes may actually be because people are not making enough of their own cannabis in, in the body and in the brain. And that's why when one takes it, for example, multiple sclerosis, it, it increases the levels of the cannabis in the, in the mind, in the brain, and is able to alleviate a lot of the symptoms. So I don't know if that answers, I guess. And the thing with the physicians is I know a lot of physicians who don't know about that. There's an endocannabinoid system. You know, doctors are supposed to be scientists. You're supposed to look at evidence and then make a decision one way or the other. You're not supposed to be prejudiced before you make a decision about something. But you know, what we have now is a catch 22 because cannabis is uh, labeled as a schedule one narcotic. That means that it's, Highly addictive and has no medical benefits. It's it's a which is uh, puts it in the same class as heroin, LSD, things like that. Cocaine, morphine, those are scheduled too. And what and what the result of that is is that we can't do any research. So it's like a catch twenty two. People, I'll talk to doctors and they'll go, well, we have no evidence. Well, of course we can't have evidence because. You have The hoops that you have to go through to get a Schedule One narcotics license and to be able to prescribe or do any kind of research with cannabis are, are amazing and, and horrible, very, very difficult. When you have a state like Israel, a country like Israel, where it is legal, medical cannabis is legal, they're doing tremendous research there, and the results are, are very impressive. So, you know, to think that if we, what would happen if we could be doing that here, it would be stupendous for people. But, you know, the, the, the politics of it are, unfortunately, are just preventing anything from really getting done.
0: So, how did you personally come to this? Um, was it something that's in medical school or was it something that you um, became, uh, through your own experience with patients or um you know what path did you take to to be so aware of the the endocannabinoid I'm no, not saying it right system and your no, use endo, of it the, a, can, Yeah the endocannabinoid uh, system cannabinoid system um, I mean no, is that something what? that is taught in medical school or should be or did you no, just discover I,
1: it Oh it absolutely should No go ahead No no go ahead Uh, My understanding, the last time I checked, was that very few medical schools are teaching this. I don't think it's being taught as a – there may be some courses that are given that are optional. I don't think – and I would love to be proven wrong, and I'd love somebody to call in and and tell us about this. I don't know at this point where it's a, a standard part of the medical school curriculum.
0: So what was your own personal journey to, to get to this point where you accept and embrace this and um, are, you know, really centering well, your, lots of I, your treatment around? I
1: mean, I knew about it. I'm a child of the 60s. I certainly knew about it. Mm-hmm. And I knew I had friends who were in California who were you know, certainly um, very aware of it and using it for medical purposes. So I knew that it had medicinal properties. And I was very interested in it. And the more that I learned about it and then the more, you know, I've seen several hundred patients at this point. And um, people come back to me with these incredible stories because, what you know, just to finish what our process is, I will certify somebody and then make sure that within two months and then six months after that, we have a meeting and we sit and talk about what is happening and make any adjustments that we have to make. But then they tell me their stories, and the the stories that I get from them are extraordinary about how they're able to integrate it into their lives and how it is just so helpful for them. And, you know, if, if it was one or two or a couple of people, I'd say, well, maybe this is just placebo, it's just anecdotal. But when you have hundreds of people who are telling you very similar kinds of things, it's hard to make that case. It really feels to me like this is a a really legitimate, viable uh, medicine. And so it it just becomes more and more compelling.
0: Yeah. I also wonder if you could give us your thoughts on a related topic. Today, um, a local senator, state senator from here, George Amador, had a press conference. He's the head of the Senate Task Force on Heroin and Opioid Abuse, and he has just proposed legislation to allow the use of medical marijuana as an alternative to opioids. And I just wonder if you have any experience or thoughts on does marijuana work um, in pain management and can it be used successfully for people who are addicted to opioids? Um, Counter to the thought of the (laughs) reefer madness era where it was – talked about, you know, that pot was a gateway drug to these larger drugs. Um, This is kind of the opposite. Do you have any thoughts on on that?
1: Absolutely. I applaud the senator um, for introducing that legislation. Uh, There is a lot of evidence that shows that, yes, I mean, chronic pain is one of the conditions, one of the 12 conditions. And um, I'd say the majority of my patients are people who have chronic pain, Many of whom had been on opiates. I get a lot of referrals from doctors who have chronic pain patients who they want to get off opiates and we're able to do that. There is a lot of evidence and it's interesting. The research that's going on now shows that, you know, there are two major components of the cannabis plant. Um, THC, which is the, the, the structure that everybody thinks of that gets you high, although it has many other, um, effects. And then CBD or cannabidiol, um, which has a lot of neurologic kinds of effects and is a great anti-inflammatory substance. But CBD has been shown to help get people, wean people off of opiates. Um, There's actually a place out in California called High Sobriety, and they are using cannabis to get heroin users off of opiates. Um, So it, it works. It really is something i'm really delighted that the senator has done that i've spoken with someone who's doing research in mount sinai in new york done a lot of work with this um and you know just to to talk about the politics for a second it's it's so frustrating and maddening to me when i hear someone like jeff sessions who's willfully ignorant about this and we you know or Kellyanne conway who you know, is the president's drug czar? I don't know if that's her, ter- her exact title, but you know, we have this 800-pound elephant in the room. And when you talk about the opioid uh, epidemic, and nobody, none of them, certainly, are talking at all about the 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 benefits that cannabis could give. It definitely helps. It's very good for pain, and it's very good for people getting people off of opiates. So there it is. It's right there. It's in front of everybody's face. Um, I hope that the bill passes.
0: And then while we're on the topic of legislation, what your letter originally that you wrote us was about, could you tell us just a little about um, those bills, uh, the one by uh, Diane Savino in the Senate and um, what that would accomplish? Apparently now it's a a limited licensing um, process for the dispensers (laughs) that you know, allow only a certain number of um, licensees, so they're limited in how many across the state um, are able to access this.
1: Right. I mean, you know, my take on it was just that it was really, there are so many places in the state where people can't get it. And some of the dispensaries have been doing limited kinds of delivery, which is great, but there's still vast areas in the state. Um, you know, I think I made a comparison between Florida, which had, you know, 250, I think, dispensaries, mm-hmm. and New York State, which has has 25. I mean, you know, it, it keeps coming back to me that, you know, there's, a, there's an irony about, you know, the Compassionate Care Act, but it's very difficult to get the... To get cannabis because it's, you know, many people are very, are great distances from the uh, dispensaries. And the other thing is that it's very expensive. I, I have the same kind of situation that I had when I worked in the ER where people would come in who are spacing out their medicine and not taking it the way they're supposed to because they can't afford it. I have the same thing all the time with my cannabis patients. It's too expensive for a lot of the patients because I'm seeing people across the socioeconomic spectrum, um, and yet many of them in the lower parts of, the, of that spectrum are unable to um, to get anything. And you know, they can't pay for it. They have to space it out over you know a month or or so.
0: And this is because it's not covered by medical insurance the way other FDA-approved drugs would be. Is that part of the it's problem? Not
1: covered, it's not covered at all. I have, yeah. Right now I have a patient who has traumatic brain injury and all kinds of movement disorders after a motor vehicle crash, and um, this works tremendously for her. And I just had a conversation with her social worker today. He's trying to get Medicaid to pay for it. She's on Medicaid. And I don't know that this has happened yet. But, you know, I'm going to be helping him. Mm -hmm. In fact, I'm hoping to talk to, I'll be on a panel tomorrow with Senator Savino at the Cannabis World Expo at the Javits Center in New York, and I'm hoping to talk to her about that and see if we can break through, because he's been trying for months now to get Medicaid to pay for it.
0: Well, I salute you. (laughs) I salute you in your work. Our time went really fast. Do you have any closing thoughts, um, things that are very important to you um, that we haven't touched on that you'd like people to know about?
1: Well, I think it's it's really, I don't want to be hyperbolic um, and be too eloquent and, about, and effusive about it, but I think I've had a, amazing experiences with my patients. It's very gratifying for me. I think it needs to be descheduled or taken down to a Schedule two narcotic. I think that we need to really start federally funding research on it. It needs to be Available throughout the country So the people, I have patients who I get The card for And then they, they're they going to be traveling And they're afraid that they're going to get arrested Because they can't go from state to state I mean, hmm. it really needs to be Taken off the of schedule one We need to really look at it Objectively We need to get rid of the reefer the madness myths, And we need to make it available To everybody at a reasonable price That's how I would What I would say
0: Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate your talking to us, and I wish you the best in your very worthwhile work.
1: Well, thank you. It's my pleasure, and I'm always available to talk to people and certify people. So I'm happy to, and I I thank you for reaching out to me.
0: Great. Have a good one.
1: Okay, you too. Bye-bye.
0: Bye-bye.